when things, or we start forcing, but when things don't work out, step back and get curious. Get curious. Like, huh, what else could this mean? What else could be happening? What else does the universe have up its sleeve? Hello, fellow Earthlings. Welcome to the Becoming the Big Me podcast. I'm your host, Jamila Burney, and together we will be stepping into our highest potential, exploring all things mind, body, and soul with just a smidge of business. You're a spiritual badass, soulpreneur, and a warrior for change. You're ready to expand your impact and leave your old self behind in order to raise your vibration so that you can positively influence your business, your community, and ultimately, the world. Without further ado, let's dive right into it. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Becoming the Big Me podcast. You guys, I am so excited. I have an amazing guest with me here today. I have Coot Blackson, an inspirational speaker, transformational teacher, and author of the national best-selling book, You Are the One, and The Magic of Surrender. He offers a fresh, bold look at spiritual awareness for a whole new generation. Born in Ghana, West Africa, Coot's multicultural upbringing as the child of a Japanese mother and a Ghanaian father has spanned over four different continents. His unique lineage lay the foundation for his approach in breaking down the barriers and unlocking an individual's true grist and greatness. At the young age of only eight years old was the first time that Coot spoke in front of an audience of 3,000 people. And he went on to speak in over 300 venues by the age of 18. Over the last decade, he's been helping organizations develop authentic leadership and achieve extraordinary performance. His electrifying presentations not only offer real world practical ideas and soul stirring wisdom, but also ignite the heart and inspire courageous action. His mission is simple, to awaken and inspire people across the planet to access inner freedom, live authentically, and to fulfill their true life's purpose. Welcome to the show. I'm so blessed and excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. I know you have an incredibly powerful story. And I really want to dive into your story with my listeners because that's what this show is all about. It's about the journey. And you have been on this journey for a very, very long time. So if you could just bring us back a little bit, back into your childhood. I mean, that's really amazing that you were stepping on stages and speaking to audiences at such a young age. Can you bring us back to that time and kind of Get us a little insight into your childhood. How did that kind of manifest for you? Yeah, look, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I grew up in London. Uh, from a very young age, I, oh, I was a very sensitive kid. So I felt, a, I felt people's pain. I felt people very deeply. I felt the suffering of humanity around me. And there was always a part of me that wanted to alleviate people's suffering. I didn't know what that would look like. I didn't know how that would manifest. I didn't know how I was going to do that, but I just, I felt people really, really, really deeply. And so 
life was confusing as a kid on one level because things didn't make sense. You know, I would ask myself, why is it that some people who seem to have everything, uh, they're still miserable and unhappy and they have every reason to be happy. And why is it that some people who seem to have nothing, uh, they're happy and fulfilled, even though they have every reason to, to not be happy. And so these questions started to roll around in my mind as a child, six, seven, eight years old. And I really kind of began to ask myself the questions of, you know, why are we here? What's the purpose of life? Is it just to wake up, go to sleep, make money, eat, have sex, make babies, buy a car, go on vacation, buy a house and then die? Like surely there's got to be more to this process of living than just that. So what the hell is this thing about called life? And so uh, around seven, eight years old too, I remember being a chubby kid lost in the crowd in Ghana, West Africa. And I saw this crippled woman pick up the sand that this man walked on and wiped it on her face. Literally, she hadn't walked probably in years and she wipes it on her face. The man didn't know. I, I, this was a miracle. And I saw the same man who sand she picked up, look at uh, a person in a wheelchair, a woman in a wheelchair and say, why are you in this wheelchair? Stand up. And he, she would stand up. I saw the same man look at a man with, uh, who hadn't seen, didn't have eyesight and put his hands on them and they would have eyesight. And so I grew up around these let's call it miracles, you know, and for lack of better words, they were miracles. They were sort of, sort of extraordinary feats. And so this man was my father. He had 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa, had a huge church in London, uh, about four or 5,000 people every Sunday, had hundreds of thousands of people in Ghana, West Africa. He was known as the miracle man of Africa. And so I grew up in this very, shall we say, mystical, spiritual uh, environment that seemed very normal to me as a kid. Um, and when I was age eight, I started speaking in my father's audiences. He just threw me into the audience and said, my son is speaking. I had no idea what the hell I was going to say, what was going to happen. But words started to kind of emerge from my mouth. And that began my speaking career. Age 14, I was ordained as a minister in my father's church. I was given the mandate to take over my father's spiritual organization. I was, it was announced that I was going to be the successor to my father, unbeknownst to me we didn't discuss it it's just this is what was going to happen and so it was a little confusing because i know i wanted to help people i know i wanted to have, make an impact but i didn't want to do it through the church i didn't feel that that was my authentic expression and so when my father announces to the congregation my son is taking over i, I mean i look around i'm kind of in shock <laughs> we didn't discuss it and then uh, I didn't say anything, you know, at a, as a kid, I didn't have the courage to really speak my truth. I didn't have the courage to really tell my father how I really felt. My fear was if I dare to be myself, if I speak my truth, if I, if I dare to be authentically who I am, then he won't love me. I will lose his love. I'll lose the relationship. Uh, I, I'll be alone. I'll be outcast. I'll lose my community. And so I said nothing. I hid myself and carried a certain pain in my heart, knowing I wasn't truly honoring my truth, my authentic truth that was in my heart. And I think many times as human beings, one of the things that keeps us stuck as human beings from truly living our purpose, from manifesting our greatness, from, from really uh, sort of expressing our full potential, being who we are is... As human beings, we're constantly 
constantly lying to ourselves in many ways. That's one of the things that keeps us stuck is we lie to ourselves. We lie to ourselves about what we feel. We lie to ourselves about what we want. We lie to ourselves about who we are. We lie to other people about who we are. Maybe not even consciously or intentionally, but we're kind of constantly hiding who we are and not telling ourselves the truth. And so, you know, maybe someone listening in, maybe you're in a relationship that you know, you know deep in your heart that this relationship is not the right relationship for you. It's not a line, something is not right, but you stay in the relationship because it's comfortable or you stay in the relationship out of guilt of hurting the other person or you stay in the relationship because maybe you're afraid you won't find anyone else to love you. And so in so many ways, we're not telling ourselves the truth or maybe you're someone in your heart where you're working a job that you know is not really lighting you up. It's not the reason for why you were put on the planet, but you stay in this job, you stay in this situation out of, out of fear, out of, out of safety. And so I think whenever we aren't honest with ourselves, whenever we don't truly express our truth, who we really are, whenever we hold that back, I think it's painful. You know, I think it's really painful. And so as a young boy, I felt this pain. And it took me four years from age 14 to 18 to really muster up the courage. See, my life was set out for me by society, by my father, by the community. My, my path was carved. And as I looked into my future, I felt sadness. When I turned 18, I had to make a decision. Life is a process of decisions. I, there were two choices, to follow the path that was calling me. What was calling me was completely unknown. I wanted to come to the US because all uh, you know, I started reading self-help books when I was a kid. And so all of the authors and teachers that I had read about when I was a kid, they happened to live in the, uh, the US. They lived in California. They lived in Southern California. They lived in Los Angeles. I wanted to come and meet them and learn from them and study with them. And so I, I, all I knew was I wanted to come to the US. And this was my, my path that was calling me. But I had no idea how this was going to happen. I had no idea where this would lead. I just knew that it felt right. And when I, when I looked at the path that was carved out for me, uh, I saw that I could be successful by my father's standards, by everyone, everyone else's standards. Mm -hmm. But if I, didn't have, if I didn't have myself, I looked, I projected age 20, age 30, age 40, age 50. But if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my soul, if I didn't have my truth, if I didn't have who I really was, what kind of success is that, you know? And then I really felt like, you can't be truly happy and fulfilled being someone that you're not. You can't be truly happy and fulfilled living someone else's version for your life. It's not your life. How can you be happy living someone else's life? You know, and so I felt such a sadness in my heart because I knew what I had to do in that moment, you know, follow the expected path or follow my soul. And sometimes what your soul guides you to do it doesn't make sense to your mind. Sometimes what your soul guides you to do isn't always convenient. Sometimes you're, so, what your soul guides you to do is downright scary, but it's what's aligned, you know? It's what, what's aligned. And I think for many of us, there comes a moment when the life that we have created for ourselves up until now is actually becomes too small for what our soul is seeking to become. And that's the moment that can be a really scary moment. Do we stay safe and hold on to what we know? Do we stay safe and continue being who we were? Do like a caterpillar in a, you know, like, like a caterpillar crawling on the floor. Do we stay safe or do we enter that cocoon of the unknown and dare to turn into a butterfly and fly? What do we do? Many times out of fear, we stay safe and we hold on to what we know. Mm. 
And so I had the conversation with my father at age 18 and looked him in the eyes with so much fear and so much terror, yet knowing what I needed to do, knowing that I would break his heart, knowing that this might be the end of my relationship with him. But I made peace with that. It was very hard. I had to grieve it. And I told him I wasn't taking over. We didn't speak for two years. It was a really painful two years. And sometimes people think that when you find your purpose, when you find your truth, when you find the purpose for why you were born, life becomes easy. I think sometimes when you find your purpose, it gets challenging. You know, I, I think you're faced with soul tests, tests that challenge your soul to learn the lessons and become more and develop mentally, spiritually, emotionally, so that you can become the person that's capable of fulfilling the goal, the dream and mission that you've been given. And so if you are facing, if you're following your purpose and you're facing challenges for those that may be in that situation, I just want to encourage you to know that doesn't mean you're on the wrong path because there's challenges. In fact, you might be on the right path. Mandela had to go through challenges. Gandhi had to go through challenges. Muhammad Ali had to go through challenges. Bruce Lee had to go through challenges. Uh, Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, they all had to go through challenges. But those challenges, the very uh, gymnasium that made them stronger and prepared them to be the person that was capable of fulfilling their vision and mission. And so I had the conversation with my father. We didn't speak. Um, cut a long story short, uh, I ended up winning a green card in the lottery, uh, the green card lottery to come to the US. And that's when I knew that I was aligned. Like I didn't know where I was going. I had no money, but I knew I was aligned. And I really feel that when we follow our true soul's alignment, when we don't compromise that truth, then we're in the flow. Then we surrendered in the flow. And then I think we, we tap into the the power of the universe, the force of nature begins to rise to support us in the fulfillment of its, of its vision through us. And so I would just ask everyone to really sit with what lies am I telling myself? Because the lies keep us stuck. What lies am I telling myself? What am I pretending to not know? Because often we play a game of confusion. Like I'm not sure, I'm not clear. And we pretend to not know. And what is the pain? What, what, is, what is it costing me to live this lie? What is it costing me to not live in truth and to have the courage to feel the pain? Sometimes we feel the pain of the lie, but we distract ourselves from the pain. We smoke it away. We drink it away. We sex it away. We, we, we work it away. We social media away. We Netflix it away. Whatever it is so that we don't have to feel the pain. But I think that pain is a teacher and pain is a signal and pain it can be your friend. And pain can be a feedback mechanism to show you where you are not living in truth, to show you where you are not living in integrity, to show you where you are not living in alignment. So I would just invite everyone, if you're feeling pain in your life, that can be a signpost as to where you might be lying to yourself. If you're not sure or you think you're not lying to yourself, if you're feeling lots of pain, the pain could be a physical illness, the pain... The pain could be depression. The, the, the pain could be just being uninspired. The pain could be you're just freaking tired all the time. The pain is often showing you where you may not be truly living in alignment with your deeper, deeper, deepest truth. So use the pain as feedback to say, where do I need to bring myself into alignment? Where am I not telling the truth so that you can then get back into the flow? And then I came to the U.S., two suitcases, a thousand dollars, you know, one in the country arrived in Los Angeles and my crazy journey began.
And, uh, and I went and found teachers and mentors, went and traveled the world, traveled to India, studied with saints and mystics, traveled to Indonesia and Bali, studied with shamans and medicine men, traveled to South America, studied with shamans and you know, people in the, in, in the jungle, uh, went to Israel, studied with rabbis, all in a quest to try to just understand the whole nature of life and this whole process that is this thing that we're living, you know, and then started working with people one-on-one and one-on-five and we just kept expanding, expanding to now. I love that. You guys, he touched on something really important. That's something that we talk a lot about on this show is, is harnessing the power of the dark side. And I feel like using that pain is really harnessing that power of the dark side because it's using it as a communication mechanism where it's considered a negative emotion in society. However, it doesn't have to be. You can harness that power you can use it to propel you forward and it sounds like that's something that really you have discovered and something that you do it sounds like you lean into that into that pain yeah yeah i think i think pain is pain is not bad you know i think pain gets a a negative connotation sometimes but you know when we suppress feelings those feelings don't really go anywhere you know when we suppress those feelings or don't deal with those feelings they simply stay stuck inside of, inside of us and create energetic blocks, physical blocks inside of us. They block the, uh, our capacity to feel more deeply and be more intuitive and be more alive and be more open. When we don't honor our feelings, all feelings not felt simply remain present. All feelings not felt in a healthy way tend to express themselves in unhealthy ways. And that unhealthy way could be we sabotage ourselves. The unhealthy way could be we end up drinking. The unhealthy way could be we end up, you know, in a toxic relationship. The unhealthy way could be we procrastinate. The unhealthy way could be we, uh, we get ill, we get sick, you know. And so all feelings remain present till fully felt. And so if we really understand that, there's no good feelings, there's no bad feelings. There's just feelings. There's just energy in motion that is moving. That if we learn to hold, if we learn to be with, and we learn to understand that all feelings are temporary, all feelings have a cycle and a completion point, that if we can have a relationship with those feelings, feel those feelings with full awareness, with consciousness, then the feeling will dissolve. The feeling will complete. The feeling will move through. And then we will be lighter and more expansive. And it's one of the beauties of the human experience, because if you don't, if we don't get to experience the wide range of emotions, how can we even know when we are happy if we never feel sadness? And if we have no contrast, if there's nothing to compare it to, then what even is the good things in life, right? Exactly, exactly. I love that. And so I know that you wrote this this amazing book, um, The Magic of Surrender. And and this is really kind of what we're talking about here is kind of surrendering to those Mm. emotions. And so I'm curious, what what really inspired you to write that book? Was it just kind of this this concept here? Uh, You know, this was not the book that I thought I was going to write. I thought I was going to write another book. I had a bunch of, one day I sat down with a whole whiteboard And I had all sorts of ideas of the book that I thought I was going to write. It was going to be this. I thought that book would sell. Publishers would love this concept. People would want to buy this. Had all these great titles. And one day, I was sitting there looking at all these ideas. And it's as though the soul of the book 
revealed itself to me. The soul of the book came through so clearly with such clarity that it became undeniable. Now, I did not immediately surrender because this, this, the, the, the concept of surrender was not in my mind to write about. And so I had to surrender to the book that was seeking to be written, not the book that I wanted to write. And then I realized that the book had a life force of its own. And my job was to align with that, surrender to that, and be a servant and a vessel to the book that was seeking to be written. But then I brought myself into the flow. The, the, the seed of the book, I would say, was also planted because the end of 2016, uh, my mother was diagnosed with stomach cancer, totally unexpectedly. I got a phone call from my father, said, you need to call your mom. I called my mother, totally surprised, totally shocked. She said, yeah, she said, yeah, I've been diagnosed with cancer, doesn't look great. So I started to fly from Los Angeles, where I live, LA to London literally every month for almost a week to be with my mother in chemo treatments, flying back and forth, back and forth. And I remember going back with the intention that I was going to heal her. I was going to fix her. I was going to help treat her and, and get her well. And probably after the first month, I began to realize very humbly that no matter what I did, she wasn't going to make it. I really saw that she's not going to make it. And so that was heartbreaking. And so I had to, I realized I was not in control clearly and I had to surrender her and let her go, even while she was alive. And that started to free me up to, I would say, love her even more fully. You know, love, love everyone. You realize that when I realized that she was dying and I, then, then I had to accept that every conversation could be the last conversation. Every time I saw her could be the last time I held her hand. Every text could be the last text. Every picture could be the last picture. And so... It, it opened my heart to the sacredness of the moment and the sacredness of life and how precious it is because I surrendered. And so probably five, six months into this process with her, she lived for a year you know, from her diagnosis. Five, six months into that year, um, the doctor said, there's nothing else we can do. You have days, weeks, or months to live. It's a conversation that no one wants to hear, especially for me, the person I love the most, you know, and it was just, it was hard. It was, it was challenging. It was, it was a difficult moment. And I looked my mother in the eyes and I said to her, I asked her two questions. I said to her, are you afraid? And she looked at me and she said, I'm not afraid. This little Japanese woman was totally fearless during this year. She said, she said I'm not afraid because I know I'm not just this body. She said, I am a soul, an eternal soul that is evolving. I'm not just this body. This body will die, but the body is the vehicle for my soul. So when this body goes, then I'm complete. My soul will, will, will continue the journey. So it's eternal. I'm not afraid. Then I looked her in the eyes and I said, is there anything I can do for you? How can I make your days easier? What, can I, what do you need as a son? How can I make you happy? And she said to me, this is where I think the seed of the book was planted. She said, there's nothing I want. There's nothing I need and there's nothing I want. So nothing. She said, all I want is what God wants for my life. And I sat with that. And it wasn't even in a religious sense. But I really understood what she was saying. She wasn't attached to life. She wasn't attached to death. She was simply surrendered to whatever her soul's journey was. Mm. And she was 
totally at peace with that. And that was her freedom. And so then when she passed away, months later, I felt this book coming through. I didn't know what it, what it was, but I reflected on all of the great... So, so I looked at my mother and I realized, wow, she lived, surrender was the key to her freedom. In fact, her whole life, she'd lived surrender. She married an African guy from Ghana in the mid 70s when it wasn't a thing or wasn't, you know, she'd never been out of the country. Uh, she married this guy from Africa, didn't speak English, got, agreed to get married to this guy, having never seen him or never met him, just through a proposal in a letter. And she accepted because she felt that was her path. She lived surrender. You know, this was her key. And then I started looking at the great ones, Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Mandela, JFK, you know, uh, even modern day ones, Greta Thunberg, the climate change activist, you know, Malai Yousafzai won a Nobel Peace Prize from Pakistan, uh, Martin Luther King, all of, all of the folks I respect. And I realized at some point they had to come to a moment in their lives where they surrendered. They surrendered themselves to something bigger than their vision, their ideas, their goals, their dreams, to really open themselves to, to what life was seeking to express through them. And that was the key to what made them great. And as a result of their surrender and their openness, saying, okay, life, use me, basically, they tapped into an infinite potential, an infinite potential and power of life that was then able to move through them and use them, create through them, to do incredible things on the planet. You see, we often think that surrender is weak, that if you surrender, you won't get your goals, your dreams, your desires, that if you surrender, you're going to end up homeless. If you surrender, you're going to be broke. You're going to be living in the Himalayas and surrender like you're going to be, who knows what, you're going to be a doormat. <laughs> so we have this negative connotation of, I think, what surrender means that we have to really reframe. And I think that surrender to me is the most powerful thing we can do most of the time, as human beings, everything has to fall apart. Crisis has to happen. We have to lose everything. Then, as a last resort, we finally surrender. And then maybe things move. Then things break open. But what if we actually surrendered, not at the end of the, of the rope, but at the beginning of the rope? And not as a last resort, but as a first resort. And, and lived in that state of openness from the beginning. To me, that's the invitation. And so... Surrender is to stop trying to control life to be what we think it should be, to, to stop trying to control life to fit into our limited, shall we say, box or idea of how we project life should be and how we think should be, to stay open to what is seeking to happen. To surrender is to let go of the idea of who we think we should be, to let go of the idea of the life that we think we should be living so that we can truly be available to the life that is authentically seeking to express itself and unfold for us, which may not look like what we thought. Because many times we set goals and we set dreams and we set desires and have visions. And we have these goals. And sometimes we even achieve those goals only to be maybe dissatisfied or not be truly happy and go, is this it? I thought I really wanted this, but is this all? I, I'm not that happy. There must be more. And so sometimes we think we know what we want, but many times what we think we want and the goals we set is simply what we think we wanted based on who we thought we were or think we are, which is really a conditioned identity. And the idea of who we think we are can, can sometimes be a conditioned identity. And as a result, the goals that we set and the dreams that we have can also be inauthentic, inauthentic 
from a standpoint of the goals that we want, the goals that we project, I want that house, I want that car, I want that relationship, I want that, that one, I want to do that thing, I want to win an Oscar, whatever it might be. Sometimes the goals that we project can be a, an unconscious projecting from our past, an unconscious projection from our past, certain unmet needs that maybe weren't met as a child. So let's say dad wasn't around, we felt unworthy, we felt unlovable, we weren't seen, we weren't acknowledged. And so from that wound, sometimes our goals can arise. And so from that wound, there can be an unconscious part of us that feels, hmm, if I can get that body, if I can make that money, if I can be famous, if I can achieve that thing, if I can get that, whatever the goal is, then I'm going to finally be worthy and okay and enough. And so then goals end up limited. And what we think we want is only what we think we want. It's not what we truly, truly authentically want. And so to surrender is to go beyond. To surrender is to take off all the limitations of life. And there's two questions I would just throw out as a part of the conversation. When we're living from ego, we're living and asking the question, what do I want? What do I want? That's what we're taught and you know, self-help. Know what you want, set your goals, be specific. It's great. And you can create a good life and manifest a good life from the level of the mind. It's possible, but it will often be limited. So the question of what do I want? An ego-based question. The question I'm inviting people to ask is what is it that life wants to express through me? What is it and how is it that life wants to manifest through me? What is it that life wants to create through me? How is it that life wants to sing through me? How is it that life wants to write through me? How is it, what is it that life wants to manifest through me and to, to then actually be open to feeling and tuning to the deepest impulse of life, the deepest, most authentic expression of your soul and how life wants to move and to listen and attune to that and align with that first. Then you can, let's say, go into your mind and once you're aligned correctly, then plan and schedule and you know uh, uh, manifest and go into action. But then you're moving in the direction of what's authentic rather than what's an illusion or what's not authentic. And so surrender is the willingness. Surrender is the openness. Surrender is the willingness to let go of what's not working and what's not aligned so that you can make yourself more available for what truly is your deepest hearts and souls desire. That is so beautiful. And I got goosebumps the entire time that you were talking because that resonates with me so much. You guys already know my story, but when I truly surrendered is when my life completely changed, like, like completely surrendered, like fell to the ground, you know, in tears, just like, I give up. I don't know. I don't know anything. Show me the road, show me the path. And and it was like instantaneous the next day, like I started getting signs and the past was just like unfolded in front of me. This is so, so powerful. I am so excited to read this book. I'm going to have to dive in because this is incredibly moving and so, so true. How are you guys surrendering in your life? How are you allowing the universe to move through you so you can become part of the co-creative process? I love how you bring up, you know, the logical mind based on the intuition and following what might not be logical because that's what you did. And this happens to so many people. You were 
basically handed something that would give you, you know, quote unquote, success in society, but that didn't feel right. And so many of us are in these situations, whether it's, you know, feeling pressure to go out to a specific career path from our parents so that we can be perceived as successful in society, but inside of our hearts, we know it's not right. And it might show up in weird ways, like you getting sick all the time and having to miss tests or weird things like that happening in my experience. But I just love how you are choosing to step into your truth each and every day. That's what this show is about. How are you continuing your knowledge, your, your learning and your development now? Like what kind of things are you doing to continue to seek this truth? What am I doing in my life? Currently. I think for, for me, it's, it's, it's not so much a doing. I think uh, it is a practice of living more mm -hmm. than anything. It's, it's, it's because for me, information means nothing. Um, spirituality for me uh, is how you live your life. And so for me, the practice is a, 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 a feeling into a living of, let's say, in this case, surrender in my life. So it's not just, let's say, writing a book about it, but mm -hmm. it's, it's really saying, okay, how can I really get myself out of the way, feel deeply, attune myself and allow life to lead me and so for me i'm in a continual process of okay tuning in to saying what is life seeking to do what is how is life seeking to express where is the energy of life moving kind of feeling for that you know mm. and and allowing myself to be led by life that's that's the key for me one of the things that we have to give up i think as human beings that, that takes us out of the flow is we have a constant need to know what everything means. <laughs> We're given a guidance. What, what does it mean? What does it mean? We meet someone, what does it mean? What is it, who are they? Where, where's this going? It's just the <laughs> constant need to know creates the questioning which breaks us out of the flow. To truly move into surrender is to let go of the constant need to know. Sometimes we look, sometimes we even think we really know we have it figured out. We go, oh, I know what this is, but I don't know about you, but I was asked everyone, how many times have you thought you knew what something was? And it wasn't. How many times did, did, did you think that you met the person that was the love of your life, that this is your soulmate? Oh my God, I met them and I'm so sure. And they weren't, you know? And so sometimes in the moment, when things don't work out, how you have planned or how you have thought or didn't go according to plan. Don't stress. I actually believe that it's often grace. When you don't get what you thought you wanted, it can be grace. It can be a blessing. It's like the love of the universe. Trust that something better is actually seeking to happen in your life in that moment, because the universe is always working uh, in a process of evolution. And so when things don't work out, we, we sometimes go into certain patterns of collapse. We sometimes go into certain patterns of uh, denial. We go into certain patterns of distress. We go into certain patterns of feeling uh, rejected. We go into certain patterns of anger, right? Or resistance. But when things, or we start forcing, but when things don't work out, step back and get curious. Get curious. Like, huh, what else could this mean? What else could be happening? 
What else does the universe have up its sleeve? What better thing than what I thought? Just to ask the question, what better thing than what I thought could be seeking to happen here that I can't currently see? Because often from the limited perspective of our mind and our ego, the ego mind that we're locked inside of as human beings that we think is us, but it's really not, thinks it sees, thinks it sees reality. But we often don't see reality. And we certainly don't see the totality of reality, of the unfolding of our destiny. If anything, we see, it's like a painting. You see the small corner of the painting, but we don't see the entire tapestry of the entire unfolding of the painting of our destiny, but we see a little bit. And a little bit doesn't make sense, but we don't see how that heartbreak, that illness, that challenge, that rejection, how it fits into the perfect brushstroke and the perfect artwork of what the, of how life is seeking to expressed through you. We can't see it in the moment, but often only in retrospect that we look back and go, oh, I see why I needed to go through that breakdown. Oh, I see why I needed to go through that divorce and breakup. Oh, I see why I needed to hit my head and crash and fail. Oh, I see why I need to go through that illness now. Now I understand in retrospect. And so I think it's so important that we, when things don't happen, we step back and we just allow, we get curious, we trust. We trust that there is an intelligence of life that is unfolding. There is an intelligence of life that knows, you know, it knows what to do. Like, it's so funny. I was speaking to someone the other day in our culture today. How is it that we trust Siri? Siri. <laughs> More than we trust our soul, right? Hey, Siri, tell me. Whatever Siri says, goes. <laughs> Siri says turn left, we turn left. Siri GPS says turn right, we turn right. Siri says go forward, we go, go off the bridge, we go off the bridge. We don't question Siri, but the moment our soul says, you need to go and move there. No, I can't. The soul says, write that book. Not me, really. I don't know. Can I? But we don't trust our soul. We don't trust this intelligence inside of us. And so I really believe that every second of our life, every breath you take is proof of the universe that you can trust. People might think, how? how? Every, like every breath. Like let's not let's even get out of the sort of spiritual mystical realm. Let's just be grounded. Let's get biological for a moment. Every breath you like, you and I, we've been having this conversation. Folks listening and have been have been listening into this conversation. You've been breathing. We've been breathing. Breath has been happening. We have not been sitting here going, "Oh shit, how am I going to breathe? Oh my god, how, how's breath going to happen? Uh, we're going to do some special technique to just breathe." It just just the breath is happening in spite of us. You're not making it happen. You're not forcing for it to happen. You're not even thinking about it ha happening. It's happening. So tune into your body. If you want proof that you can trust, tune into your body. In your body, there are trillions and trillions of cells and trillions and trillions of processes that are happening in spite of you. Right? Maybe you had breakfast this morning. You ate an apple. You ate a banana, whatever you ate. How is it that your ear doesn't turn into a banana? There's an intelligence that is inside that knows what to do. You cut your finger, you keep it clean. The innate intelligence knows how to heal your finger in spite of you. And so tune into your body daily, feel it. It's, it's, it's proof that something is working. If we look outside at the sun, I don't know about you, but I've never gone outside at 10 a.m. in the morning, ever. And it was pitch black. Like what happened? Ah, oh, the sun just, forgot to show up. It's, it's, the sun's asleep. 
It's never happened. Every day the sun shines, the moon shines, the clouds are there, the sky is there, life happens, life unfolds. So what I'm saying is there is an intelligence that inside of you that is breathing you. The same intelligence is breathing 8 billion people, functioning all levels of humanity and existence. The same intelligence bringing the sun and the stars and the moon and all of nature. Nature is unfolding. Nature is proof that there is an intelligence. And you and I as human beings, we are a part of this nature. We are a part of this intelligence, but we just kind of forgot. We've been conditioned out of it. But if we can trust that this intelligence of life knows what it's doing, it's been around for billions of years, if we're willing to just kind of get ourselves out of the way, just look, so much proof that we can trust life that we forget, you know? And I think when we really do, that's when magic unfolds. That's when we get out of the way, we get out of our own way and we allow life to unfold. We allow life to work. And, and I think that's when life then shows up in ways that we could not have planned, in ways that we could not have imagined, in ways that were, were better than what we could have imagined for ourselves, because our minds are limited based on our, our conditioning. That's beautiful. Every time that something hasn't worked out for me in my life, I go through this period where it feels like everything is crumbling. It feels like everything's falling apart. And then right at the last hour, something just absolutely incredible, a hundred times better than I ever could have imagined ends up. And I'm like, oh, this is why I had to go through this process. I had to release these other things had to break. And so I could release them to allow the space for what's truly meant for me. And that's exactly. just what I hear. And you're just touching my heart so much. Every single word that comes out of your mouth, I'm just like feeling your energy and getting the goosebumps all mm -hmm. over my body. This is been such a powerful powerful incredible conversation you guys we've been talking about surrender and allowing the world allowing the universe to yeah. move through you and to use you so that you can continue your soul's growth and your soul's mission here while you're in this human humanly form while we're here on this planet this has been such a powerful conversation. I know that people are going to want to connect with you further. I know that they're going to want to check out your book. But before we get into where they can get those, do you have any final words? Do you have any last thoughts? Final words, final words. Letting go leads to more. So let go of what's not aligned. Let go of what's not working. Trust bigger than yourself. And watch what happens. Trust your soul may not lead you where you thought, but it will often lead you to exactly where you need to be. So trust it. And the other thing I would say is a little bit of inspiration is you are going to die. You are going to die. It just sit with that a moment, folks. Me, you, Bob Marley, Muhammad Ali, Bruce Lee, JFK, Mother Teresa, the great yogis, the great saints of all history, they all died. And you and I are going to die. Yet as human beings, we're constantly resisting death. As human beings, we're constantly avoiding death. But when we avoid death and we resist death, we resist life. We often live like we're going to live forever. But we don't have forever to live 
And then when death comes, we end up dying with so many regrets, realizing that we didn't really live. We didn't really do what we were here to do. We didn't really give what we were here to give. Life is short. Life is precious. Tomorrow is not a right. I'm pretty sure that the folks in 9-11 had no idea that they weren't going to come home that night and look at, they had no idea, probably zero idea. You know, they thought they were going to come home, but they had no idea that they weren't coming home that night to look their loved ones in the eyes and say, you know what, I love you, or I'm really sorry for how I've been, you know, or they it just one moment here, next moment gone. And so if you knew the date and time of your death, God told you, would that change how you're living? Would that change what you're doing? Really sit with that because life is short. When you die, and I hope everyone listening to this conversation that you live a long, long, long life, I hope. But to me, the quality of life is not how, how long you live, it's how you live the life that you have. You know, Martin Luther King didn't live a long, long life, but look at the impact he had on humanity. This is what we were born to do. We weren't born to crawl like caterpillars. We were born to fly, truly fly. And so if death came, what would you regret? What's unsaid? What's ungiven? What's unexpressed? What's unloved? Don't keep it on the shelf for some special day in the future. A special dress that you keep or those, the special outfit that you keep for the special occasion and, and only to realize, shit, the special occasion didn't come. And then when you're about to die, realize all of this existence and all of this life was the special occasion. <sighs> this life is what we have. Because when we die and we meet our maker, you can't go to God and say, God, um, I wasted three years in that relationship that I knew wasn't right. Can I get a refund? I wasted two years, five years, 10 years in that job I really hated. Can I get a refund? Once it's gone, it's gone. So how would you need to live your life? What would you need to surrender in your life so that you have no regrets? That's what I would say. You know, that's what I would really invite people to, to really sit with. And I just hope that sit with death, not as some morbid, dark thing. Sit with death because it's a reality. No death, no life. But when you sit with death and you feel that reality, then I hope it motivates and inspires you into a fierce urgency of living life more authentically and real so that you can do what you're here to do and give the gifts that you're here to give. And, you know, if anyone's been inspired by the conversation, and as you mentioned, wants to find out more about the book, uh, they can go to www.themagicofsurrender.com, find out a bunch of info there. It's available on Amazon. We go deeper into some of these concepts. Uh, my website is coopblackson.com. Uh, I'm a reachable on Facebook and Instagram. Come say hi. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much, you guys. Life is happening right now. Not happening tomorrow, not happening in the past. It's happening right now. Live it, live it, show up, be where you are, where you are, when you're there. This was such a powerful conversation. I know that our listeners got an immense amount of value out of your time. Thank you so much for you. sharing your energy, coming on with us and sharing your value with the world. You guys, this has been an incredible time and I'll see you next time.
thank you for tuning into today's episode of the Becoming the Big Me podcast. If you found value in today's episode, make sure to leave us a review and share this episode with someone who needs to hear this message. That's how our podcast grows. Are you curious about learning more about harnessing the power of your subconscious mind? Then join the free Rewire Challenge, where we dive deep into the subconscious mind, how it works, and give you some tangible action steps to begin rewiring it to serve you. Go to bit.ly slash rewire challenge. That's bit.ly slash rewire challenge. Until next time, I'm your host, Jamila Bernie, signing out.